Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. Welcome back to the Change Room Podcast. In our last episode, Maddie, I let you interview me about my career and my personal health and well-being journey. Now it's your turn, mate. Are you ready? Oh, mate, I was born ready. I've got the headgear on, mouth guard, seatbelt. I'm ready for you, mate. Bring <laughs> oh, it on. Oh, beautiful. Well, we all know you as the founder and inspiring leader of the Change Room Program, but I want to rewind just a little bit and let's learn about you a little bit more in your elite NRL coaching career. Tell us about how that came about. By accident, Minnie, to be honest with you, I was a... I was a director in community services in local government, so I've been working as a youth worker prior to that and slowly worked my way up through local government. And uh, I was playing footy at the Dragons, and uh, Brian Smith offered me a job. uh, as a handy footy player too, mate. Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyone with a mullet and wore torpedoes (laughs) would be pretty handy, mate. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's got better, hasn't it? (laughs) You don't don't need to mention my hair, mate, anymore. So it was really weird, actually, because obviously we were semi-pro in those days, Mm. so we played NRL footy along with working. It was the year before that everyone went fully professional, so I missed by that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smitty offered me an assistant coach. I coached the under-20s. Under 21s they were then. Yeah, 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 that's it. Some work in the uh, with the first grade in the development officer job on a, about a quarter of the wage I was on in local <laughs> government. And I didn't hesitate. I just went, yeah, yeah, no, no worries, let's do it. So that's how I ended up coaching. You had a natural ability to coach at that stage. Did you feel that or not? No, I, I, honestly, mm. many. I, again, I... Book two that comes out mm. will be called The Accidental Coach, and I, I, I absolutely had no mm. thoughts of it. You know, the only th- thoughts I had about coaching was when I finished with the NRL, and I you know, I finished at 28, and I was hoping I'd finish at about 32, just through my, my knees giving away. Mm. I thought about going a captain coaching in the, in the country, not really for the coaching side of it, but to get a little bit of an earn and, you know, get out of the city for a bit. Mm. So there was no way was it a plan. What about your coaching? You went on to coach Bradford and you had great success there. What were the foundations of success when you were over in England? Yeah, well, it was a bit of a long story to that, mm. Minnie, but I, I ended up there by accident as well yeah. because you were at the Roosters you know, early on, but there was a time when the Roosters and St George were considering merging. Yeah. And Phil Gould was the head coach of the Roosters yep. and Brian Smith was the head coach of um, the Dragons at the time, and they were kind of looking at each other over Botany Bay, I think, staring <laughs> yeah, each other, right. <laughs> staring each other down. So, but Smithy ended up taking a job at Bradford, and in that was in '95, and he said, well, "Do you want to be my assistant over there?" And I, while I had a job confirmed at the Dragons, I said again, without thinking, yes. Father of uh, three at that time. Yep, yep. Three daughters. I said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I went over before Smitty. I went over halfway and I coached Bradford in the last winter season because, of course, yeah, rugby league then moved that's, to the summer. That's right, switched to summer. What um, was that like, winter? Oh, mate, I, it was, there's lots of swear words before saying cold. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was a only – I'll tell you one really unique experience <laughs> yeah. is, is that I remember the second game I coached there, the game had to be called off mm. because the ground was frozen. Mm. And I remember them saying to me, oh, we can't play today, the ground's frozen. I'm like, oh, yeah. you guys need to harden up. Yeah, are, you, yeah. are you serious? Then I walked down onto the ground. Rock hard. <laughs> when they say the ground was yeah. frozen, the ground – was frozen. It was <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, so the last one, it was really, really interesting. It was a really interesting time. And then Smithy came over and coached in the, the first uh, mm. summer season in um, 96 and then he went back. He, yep. went, he went back, got the job at Parramatta and I, I was lucky enough to, to coach Bradford you know, in, the, in the following season. Yeah, I, I remember playing a World Club Challenge over there in February, I think it was, and that area under the goalpost was frozen. And I remember <laughs> Freddie Fittler splitting his head open after getting tackled and just smeared his face on it and sliced it straight open. Um, so, yeah, winter season, oof, freezing. Yeah. So you come back to Canberra and did five years there, uh, but you have you know, four daughters. Uh, what was that like with the family move? It was really interesting, Many, you know, even just going reflecting back on the, the Bradford time a little bit of, yeah, again, my preparation to be a head coach, and I also did the CEO role there as well. No way. Yeah, Head coach yeah. and CEO. Yeah, yeah, and... I guess the, my local government background, but I guess when you're 30, I was 33. I was the young, young. I'm the youngest head coach so young. in Super League yeah. uh, history, apparently. <laughs> um, but when you're 33, you think you know what's going on, right? And I guess there's some strength in that. And I set a standard uh, as far as four principles that I operated by. Mm. Unfortunately, I forgot about later, later in my career was, you know, I had one rule for my players and the whole organisation, you do what's right. And what I had, I, had, I figured around people know what's right. And if, you know, like 99% yeah. of the time, yeah. if you've got to make a decision or you're going to, you know, mm. you behave, you've got a choice of behavioural things, mm. 95% of the time you know what's right. Yep. So I wanted to deal with the 95% of the time. not mm. the, And if people stuffed up in the 5% of the time, my job as leader was to redirect them. If you made the same mistake twice, well, you can't say you didn't know about it. Yeah, so that was yeah. Yeah. my standard number one. My second yep. one was team come first. So every decision I guaranteed myself and to mm. the team and then I expected the same from all the staff but of the players was that any any decision you made wasn't from a personal perspective of what was good for you mm. but what, what, what serves the team best. Then I had the other part was nothing comes for free. And I guess that's what we, you know, we'll probably get to this later in a conversation, Minnie, is that what we know is it's quite easy to, to make the easy decision, right? It's easier to sit on the lounge mm. than it is to yeah. get fit, you yeah. know. <laughs> so if you want to achieve, you know, you've got to go through and you've got to do the work. Mm. That was the last. And then the last one was when well, you're in the rugby league environment, you do this because you love it. Mm. If you're not here because you don't yeah, love it, it, you won't, yeah, exactly. you're not going to so achieve true. and you're in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the foundation of everything I did and I mm. looked at that. I, I had a sign up on the wall and I looked at it every day. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that. And we didn't have the most talented roster when I was at Bradford, but I was so lucky mm. that I had people that bought into it and players that bought into it. A lot of players went on to be coaches out of that team, yeah, which was yeah, yeah. which was really interesting. But we definitely didn't have the most talented roster, but so we probably overachieved, and we had a, you know a lot of great times and a lot of mm. <laughs> there's a lot of great stories that came out of that Bradford era. But it was a time of of unbelievable learning. So the five years I had mm. there, you know, my daughters started like three of my daughters started school there. One went right through primary school and ended up at, you know in that five Amazing. year yeah, at yeah. high school and. Yeah, I, I have asked them the question, what was the impacts like on them? Because mm. I was kind of feel guilty because I went to the same primary school, same high school, and yeah, you were able yeah. to, to develop yeah, yeah. those really you know, yep. deep relationships, but they wouldn't swap it for anything, you know, mm. when hearing it because they had those life experiences. We lived in a small village just mm. outside of Leeds, 
Thanks, Bram Hope. I, I'll always be grateful for you. It's yeah. an old dairy village where you, I could walk the kids 200 metres up the, yeah, the road to awesome. school and yeah. the local pub was probably a little bit more of a walk mm. or a stagger on the way home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, a, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience in the UK and just taught me so much about myself mm. that I didn't realise at the time. Mm. You know, when you're doing all that learning between that 30 to 40-year-old yeah, yeah, bracket, yeah. Yeah. but you don't even... You're just too immersed in life and mm. too full on and too focused on what you're doing to actually sit back every now and then. I should have put a fifth principle in, you know, those four was is step back, breathe, mm. have a look at what you're doing and learn, you know, mm. make sure you take the lessons. Mm-hmm. So then you come back to the Raiders, um, move the family back to Australia. The team, you overachieved there. Did you bring those four steps back to that team there? What, what, what was happening? Absolutely. And again... Mm. The, there was a perception that we overachieved because we got picked for the wooden spoon every year and I yeah. think we made the semis all yeah, but one right. year. Yeah. Again, I reckon I got hit in the bum with a rainbow mini um, because of the people that were there as mm. well. And I had some really key people in the team that no one would have ever, ever recognised at first. I'll never forget you know, Alan Tung. Um, Great guy. At the time he was a young guy mm. and he was just or he was so committed to being fit. And mm. So he'd win everything at training by, you know, yeah. 30, 40 metres. And I remember catching some people one time going, mate, come back and let someone. And I said, mate, don't you ever do that. You make them catch up to you. Yeah, yeah. And what happened by the end of the time I was there, Tony was in the middle of the group. Mm. You know, they, he's, yeah. but he set a standard. And I had people like Ruben Wickey yeah. and Jason Croker who were really, mm. really good people. And so we created a really functional culture. Mm. You know, for that time, and you were around that yeah, time, yeah. then we'll probably. Playing against them, yeah. Yeah. And, um, Machines. Yeah, but it was a functional culture in a time that there was probably a little bit of still dysfunction in rugby league, yeah. <laughs> you know, about enjoying yourself. But they were but, good blokes, weren't they? Yeah, they were good blokes mm. without – I knew that the team could go out mm. and we wouldn't have any discipline problems because mm. Jason Croker or Jason yeah. Smith or Clint Shavosky would go to someone and go, hey, mate, don't, don't mm. do that. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed themselves but they didn't overstep that line. Uh, that, mm. and, and they showed up on game day. Definitely. Mm. Why did you leave the Raiders? What happened there? You know, it was probably because we had a lot of trouble recruiting to the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't think I could Getting win it. down the camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think we could win a, a premiership there, you know. And I look back now and that was a flawed decision. Mm. Not not being disrespectful to the opportunities I had elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but it was probably a flawed decision because I we really needed to go down the recruitment path or development path, sorry, mm. of people in that area and didn't start that process but didn't finish it. And obviously that's not something that's going to manifest in two or three years' time. That's a six-, seven-year process that mm. we went. But, you know, again, you know, I took the opportunity at, at Penrith. Mm. And that was more of a slow, slow burn. What can you put your finger on there? Again, I can be honest about it now, but mm. it was a financial decision yeah. for me to move. Mm. And... You know, you look back in your life and you reflect on decisions you made based on that and you go, yeah, probably not the best decision. From a personal perspective, that's not a, mm. a, being disrespectful to the organisation. I got there in 2007 and a lot of the players had won that 2003 grand final. Yep. Beat us. They beat you, yeah, you <laughs> know about that many. And um, <laughs> I guess the, the burn in the organisation wasn't there. And there was a lot of work to be done around the cultural side of things. Mm. And sometimes when you go into that, 
that environment, you're not quite sure what you're dealing with. Mm. So there was no bad people mm. there. There just wasn't a, the fire in them that they obviously had in them when they they'd won that that it's premiership. Hard, yeah. And you don't know whether there was a few key individuals that were no longer there that were were fundamental in in lighting that fire under people. I knew once I I was very early in my tenure there. I went to the board and I said to them, well, "This is mm. going to take a while because when you're moving out people that have won grand finals for organisations, mm. it's not going to go down well." <laughs> And mm. and that's going to impact you know, the team and, and and that sort of stuff. So there was a there was a lot of work to be done there. Mm. Through that period, you sort of developed a, a reputation of being a bit of an alternate coach. What was going on there? Yeah, and again, many. I, it, it's funny. I, you know, it, stuff that we often talk about and we use yeah. we use in our program that we do together. Yeah, yeah. Things like meditation, for mm. example, I bought bought into the into the team environment. To How make was that it, received at that time? Well, by the players, it was received mm. really well. By the people in the organisation just outside the playing group, they yep. thought, who is this weird dude? <laughs> and and I, I need to explain this because I only did this because I, I read a book by Phil Jackson, who's the most winning mm. coach in the, the National Basketball yeah. League in, 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 the, in the US. And this was in – I read this in the 90s. And he did a lot of stuff around mm. meditation. So then I started doing research on it and meditation and visualisation. Yeah. And there's a, there was this all this science, and particularly Winter Olympians mm. used, yeah, you yeah. know, downhill skiers, they used visualisation mm. to see what they were doing in it. And mm. that all the science was showing how it activated the brain but also decreased stress, you know, increased accuracy. And I went, oh, well, okay, well, you know, and I started to get exposed to it mm. around this time. So I started doing all this reading as I do mm. around it. So I went, okay, now's the time to start introducing it. And I found a, a practice that the surfers, I was working in the surf industry yep. as a consultant, the surfers were using. Mm. It was a five-minute process. So the players, they still contacted me about mm. it. The players loved it. And our performances started to go through the roof. But mm. I was the weird dude, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. Bought, <laughs> and once you get classified the weird dude, mm. it's pretty hard to shake it off. Yeah, yeah. Because you're the weird dude. So, you know, in retrospect, I probably would have been a little bit not secretive about it because mm. everyone's doing it right now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, there's no teams in the yeah. NRL that don't have some sort of mindfulness oh, or totally. meditation or yeah. re as part of recovery. Ahead of your time, mate. Well, maybe so. Well, I don't think so. I was, it wasn't ahead of Phil Jackson. So this stuff had been around and yeah. I've been exposed to it for a while and I understood one, the performance outcomes. Then I started to learn about the individual outcomes of it and also there was other mm. benefits that all of a sudden you didn't even expect to be getting from it that started coming your mm. way. And it, so I and I was in a little bit of personal turmoil at this stage because I had a relationship breakdown during this as well. So... And it was something that brought equilibrium to us. So uh, it was an interesting thing, and it's an interesting thing to be called like weird, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I'll be called weird too. It's all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you either fight it, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, and get in denial about it, or mm. oh, okay, if you think that's weird, mm. that's fine. But I don't think I ever really was able to separate myself from that reputation, which mm. kind of I look back in reflection and go. What what's so weird about sitting with your eyes closed yeah. for five minutes? Yeah, Can someone right. explain that to me, please? <laughs> I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, yeah. not thinking for five. 
Like, is that weirder mm. than jumping in an ice bath? Fair <laughs> comment. Saying, Fair comment. Anyway, but someone has made that weird, right? And there was so that was an interesting thing to go through personally. I I, I did battle with it, mm. and I guess I was kind of a little eclectic as well in press conferences and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That like my time at the Raiders, I started to get the shits with yeah. with the press and the, the like. I felt like saying. Like, if you're going to ask that dumb question, come and sit beside me like we are now mm. so people can see who's asking me this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you got resistance. So I just yeah. then went, I had to work out that, okay, this is the way these people feed their kids. Mm. So they, they get paid to do this. Mm. So stop being an idiot, Matt. Yeah. And then engage. And then my way of engaging was to be, oh, well, I may as well have a bit of fun with it. Yeah, yeah. And be slightly eclectic. And <laughs> Can I tell a story about go that? Go on, go on, tell me a story. I've ever told this. Yeah. Remember those fart machines where you could press the button and the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so have you done with one? So I, maybe this is a touch weird, but maybe I need to admit it. So before one game, I went into the press conference room at the Panthers. This is before the yeah, game. Yeah. And I stuck a fart machine under one of the, <laughs> pre- the under one of the, yeah. the the journalist's chair for after the game. Yeah. And I went in there. Fortunately we won. <laughs> And my Thank partner God. at the time, she knew that I'd got it. Yeah. I took the button, the fart button in there. <laughs> so I sat down. Yeah, yeah. And just before the first person asked the question, I pressed the fart button. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see everyone. That is hilarious. Everyone in the yeah. conference room asking. And I sort of went, oh, gee. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And then, like, I did it about four or five times during, like, well, the press conferences yeah. last, normally last yeah. 10, 15 minutes. Oh, by the end of it. Did I you not know that? No. Joking. No. It's the first, this is the, I'm outing myself for the first time. That is outstanding. But anyway, I, I left and my partner and I got out and I just had, I, I was just killing myself laughing. So who uh, was the captain with you at this stage? Yeah. Or, yeah. Did yeah, you he, let him know? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Yeah, I think even Petro came out and going, he went, geez, that was weird. <laughs> so. Oh, that is outstanding. I guess. I haven't the, heard that story yet. I guess. Well, that's the first time I've really shared it. But yeah. I, it just came to mind then. So mm. I guess that was probably a little. But I, I mean, because there's so much. There has mm. to be so much focus and seriousness in that environment. Mm. Let's let's be yeah. honest. And I've never wor- I've worked in corporate environments afterwards. The intensity that and the and the focus that's required. Re- you know that's why, like when you're up in that peak spot, you mm. need to have those down moments. Mm. Otherwise, you can't get back up there. If mm. you can't stay up in a peak position, so that was probably one of my. I, I have got some other stories around this. <laughs> Michael Jennings. Sorry, this is my last one. Go on, let's let's share it. Let's do it. (laughs) Sorry, Janko, I don't think I've ever told this. (laughs) So, like, you know, with the coach, you're normally in, you're doing your video stuff and and the players will go out on the field maybe with the the strength and conditioning staff first and you'll still be doing stuff. Mm. So I used to go in about once a month or, you know, fortnightly Mm. and I'd go into Michael Jennings' kit bag And I'd hang his clothes up all different places and I'd do a whole <laughs> lot of weird stuff to his clothes or put stuff in his bag, you know, ice, yeah. ice bags in there. Like, so yeah, in yeah. the middle of winter, I'd wrap all his clothes, I'd have ice bags and wrap all his clothes in it. Yeah. 
tie his shoelaces mm. together. <laughs> Why'd you pick Jenko? I don't know. <laughs> I just did. But my joy would be. Yeah. He never knew it was me. Yeah, yeah. In the five years I worked, with oh, you him. never pin it on the coach. No, 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 no. no. Well, I'd be, I'd, I'd see them come back into the mm. field and you know go into the change room to start, and I'd just hear Janko start the blow up. <laughs> <laughs> about who's done this? I'm sick of it. You know? <laughs> and he'd be blaming some Did other any guy. Other players have any idea? No, no. no. I didn't tell anyone. So to this day? As no, not to this day. That is hilarious. So I never told the coaching. I never told the. To I never even told the coaching staff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'd just sneak in there and I'd just. Uh, but it was my pleasure. I just, I just position myself out there and I'd be, <laughs> and I'd hear him be blowing up the lux. I love it. And it, but I can't remember who he used to blame all the time. He used to blame the same player <laughs> the whole time because you know, I have like, no idea. You got that one player yeah. that's the. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I might have flicked him a year <laughs> later and it kept going and started happening. And he, <laughs> he was, oh, that is unreal. Anyway. Anyway. Not like, <laughs> not like you and me to digress. True, man. true. So then you move on to the Warriors. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. Um, didn't go smoothly. No, no. What look, happened there? Like, to be honest with you, man, I'd probably worked a year with you before mm. then at, at the Roosters. You know, and there's a lot of things that happened during that time that, Maybe the organisation you know, could have conducted itself a little better, and I was really committed. I probably spread myself too thin, but the reality of it is, is you know, those four principles I told you yep. about. I'd moved away from those four principles. I was a lot smarter mm. as far as the knowledge that yeah, I understood, yeah. but I wasn't being smart. So there's one thing: mm. is is that I was spreading myself too thin. And if you ask me, what's the most important thing in leadership? It's about the person and the people, mm. not the processes and the structures and all that sort of stuff. And I got a little – there's two reasons. I got a little immersed in in trying to be cutting edge, mm. getting those prices because I, I knew the, the team mm. to get to the next level. We couldn't do what all the other teams were going because we didn't mm. have a, a roster that was good as the other teams, so we had to do things mm. that were a little, you know, maybe more advanced. Mm. And that was, that was flawed. Pretty hard for Australian males to admit this, but I I was heartbroken. You know, I'd had a mm. relationship breakdown, and I I'd, I'd immersed myself. So I was working harder than I'd ever worked, yeah, yeah. but I'd immersed myself in this mm. cutting edge approach and all that sort of stuff. And that's nowhere near as important as developing relationships with players. Mm. And I was doing stuff like this many where we'd come to Australia, and I wouldn't fly back with the team. I'd, I'd spend a little bit more time with my daughters mm. and, and come back. No, they noticed it. no, no, you can't do that. Mm. You cannot do that. You mm. dilute your relationship with anyone mm. in that professional environment. You know that. You've experienced mm. a coach that may have done that. So, And what that feeds, when you're not leading like you should mm. at the level you should, it feeds disloyalty. It feeds gossip amongst the players. Mm. You've done it, right? Mm. I've done it as a player mm. where you've had a coach that is not a great leader or or isn't using the processes mm. that you need mm. to use and that that feeds mm. disloyalty, that mm. feeds dysfunction. Mm. At the time I, I came out of it and went, oh, they got, I was hard done by and this wasn't right. Mm. And that's, but I look back now and I reflect on it and went, mate, that's that's not because of your, your physical input. Mm. It's yeah, not because yeah. of how yeah. smart you were. Mm. It's because you didn't prioritise people. Mm. And in a team environment... The most important people are your team. Mm. 
not the organisation, not the fans, yeah. not the structures of mm. play, not the systems around feeding into that mm. team. It's the people in that team. And I wish I only had – I wish I got to learn that lesson again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that – you know, you, you get the reputation of being weird and then weird and detached. Mm. <laughs> you know, getting that opportunity again, you know, becomes very tough. Well, you probably answered my next question was in the area of leadership. Um, what, were, what were your learnings up until this point? That You know, you just mentioned one really important one. I think the thing that – and pushing humility aside, mm. the thing that I, I, I've been able to take out of this and move forward with is I know what successful leadership looks like and I know what it doesn't look like. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so – Knowing what it is and seeing people that have only experienced success and they're successful and blah, 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 you're not really coaching everyone when you do that because a lot of people come for leadership coaching Mm. and success coaching because they're not successful. And if you don't understand what failure is, if you don't understand what bad leadership is, it's, yep. You know, it's like the I see it so so many great great players mm. then move to coaching aren't really that good coaches yeah because they don't yeah. get why mm. just look up the guys there and get to his inside shoulder mm. and carry the ball mm. and <laughs> and it's for, for us poor mortals mm. you know that doesn't so true come yeah. naturally to us yeah. so I think that that's the power that I've I've been able to take forward is, is that I actually understand because I've created failure. I've created success, mm. but I've created failure. And as a leader, if you want to put the responsibility on that, onto all the, it was the organisation and it was the players weren't good enough and I was doing, you know, the, it, you don't take responsibility for your own dysfunction, you're never, ever going to experience success again. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. That's great insight. Then you go on to move, you move into coaching executives, CEOs, uh, leadership conferences. What was that like? Really interesting. Again, another confession coming here. Wow, this is like a, <laughs> this is like a counselling session. <laughs> I feel like I should whisper this bit to start off with. Go on. <laughs> I had there's a swear word that should go. That I had no idea mm. what I was doing. All right, but I needed I needed work. Yeah, I, I really, I'm really fond of eating. <laughs> you know and. <laughs> you know, live in places, and I was so lucky. I had people mm. support me, and you know, not obviously from coaching, but I, I, I had to move on. Mm. I tried to get back into rugby league, and I thought that's what would happen. But mm. that, those doors were closed for me, and you know, I stared at that closed door for a long time. Mm. But in the interim of peeking out of the corner of my eye, that closed door, I started doing this coaching for executives, and I got some opportunities. And I got to say, probably the first two years I did it, many as far as coaching. Executives, it was really interesting. I learned more from them than they ever learned from me. Mm, mm. See, we stereotype ourselves as football players mm. and people from footy backgrounds, whether you're a head coach, because we're stereotyped by the community. Yeah. And what I learned was, and this is what we've obviously, this is part mm. of where we've we've taken things, mm. and we'll, I'm sure you'll get to that in yep. a tick. But what I learned was, Rugby league's cutting edge. Mm. We have to use leading edge science, otherwise you lose. Mm. You have to use cutting edge approach, otherwise you don't perform. We don't do quarterly reviews. Mm, that's there. We do daily reviews. Yeah. We an, we analyse what you did, what yeah. the team did, what the left side did, what the right mm. side did, what the middle did, twice a day. Mm. 
we're, we're forever analysing and understanding how to get better. When you go into these organisations, they're multi-million dollar organisations, mm. and you walk in and they all of a sudden make all that complex. Mm. They all of a sudden are doing quarterly reviews and then, like, if you're going three months mm. to work out that mm. you've got a problem, well, that problem's now entrenched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's going to take you at least three months to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. So I started to walk in, walk in there and I go, I actually know my shit. I, I thought I was absolutely making it up at first. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started to go, you know what, I, I actually understand this better than them. These guys are on millions of dollars a year. Mm. They're running billion-dollar mm. industries and organisations and they are all over the shop. So that was the first thing I noticed. And guess what happened? Mm. By the end of it, so I had all these leadership, this, you know, mm. building leadership strategies, how to build constructive culture. I had my four principles, mm. came back and I built yep. stuff out of that and mm. built modules out of that. i got to say 95% of the time, they wanted the woo-woo stuff mm. without even me. I, I never offered it. Yeah. I'd sort of moved back from that and went, yeah. you know what, if people want that stuff, they'll ask for it. Mm. But, you know, I'm not going to put myself out there as someone who's, you know, who pushes, you know, the understanding of the quantum realm and the understanding yeah. of your emotional mm. side of things and mm. or what your belief system is. Like I, I would never do that. If you ask me about it, I'll share it with you. But it just blew me away. I'd get to the second session. Mm. So the sessions were normally like this. They were 90-minute sessions. Yep. About 80% of my clients were male, which probably is unfortunately a representation of the executive profile in mm. Australia. And thankfully that's changing because mm. people of my gender and hair colour aren't doing a great job globally as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So we've got a bit to answer for. But anyway, we talk footy for a bit because mm. <laughs> that's what they wanted. Yeah. We do my, you know, my my leadership and cultural stuff, but then I started getting started, ask questions about. So, tell me about the meditation you did. Mm. And I go, oh god, okay. So I, it always got moved in the, into the emotional, and the, for want of a better word, the spiritual development or the personal development of of self. Everyone has a belief system, even if you're an atheist. Mm. That's a belief system, right? Mm, mm, mm. So and and they all have merit. So yep. there's no wrong or right ones. Mm. It's your belief system. Mm. So I, I never ever challenge people on whatever their belief system is. Mm. I do challenge people on their behaviours mm. because any belief system that I'm aware of ha- has functional behaviours attached to it. Mm. So anyway, I'd always got pushed into that area. They go, well, what, do you do meditation? And I can't, I, I've always had this thing that I used to lie. I did, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, I can't say I never lie because mm. that would be a lie. <laughs> But I, I, I try not to, so I go, yeah, I do. So what do you do? Mm. And I go, I drop my shoulders, you know, here we go again. Mm. What happened, again, with all my high-level executive clients, I'd end up meditating with them mm. and teaching them meditation and the processes around it. And where the majority of them, that's where they'd want to start and they'd want to share all that sort of stuff because the thing that I learned many was CEOs or people at tops of organisations, they're the least supported in all the organisation because their job is to, to give support. Yeah, yeah. So they were almost like counselling sessions. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not qualified in that area other than I've been, you know, I've, mm. I had a background in community services. Yeah, so it was really interesting process to go through mm. to learn that. But it was exhausting. 
I had at one stage 15 executive clients where I just felt like I was going from one office to another and mm. my hair colour and got a few hits in the head, Mini, that I'd be in the middle of a session, I'd go, oh, shit, have I asked that question yet? Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> have we spoken about that one yet or was that yeah, the last yeah. one? So <laughs> I found, like, the, the group sessions, mm. I felt like for mine I was giving more of myself and making more of a difference mm than doing individual sessions. So the group sessions started to really light me up as well rather mm. than the individual sessions I was finding really taxing. Is that what moved into starting the change room? What, how, was, how did the idea come about, uh, the name, all yeah. that? Again, I really appreciate you asking that question. It came about from this. I started observing stuff in the media mm. about the power of behaviour of rugby league players. First of all, I'd gone the stereotypes wrong. The stereotype of young athletes, let's not, let's remove rugby yeah, league. Yeah, yeah. The stereotype's wrong of these mm. young guys because, but have a look how powerful their ba bad behaviour is extremely powerful, right? Mm. So if a young rugby league player demonstrates bad behaviour, it's in the press, right? And it it's powerful of what can happen to that individual, but that behaviour is not acceptable. And what I learnt, Minnie, well, the opposite is true as well, is that mm. when a rugby league player comes into an environment where there's people that are struggling and they can share a, a message that they've learnt through their experience mm. in an elite sporting environment where if you've been in a, the environment that you're in, you're exposed for the whole time. So what was it, 15 years? Yeah, 15 years. Cutting-edge lifestyle processes, mm. cutting-edge medical, cutting-edge performance, mm. cutting-edge review processes. Now, you might reflect back and 15 years ago they might have seen cutting-edge, they're not anymore. Well, they're redundant. If you train a team, mm. a rugby league mm -hmm. team, or a, an the athlete same. the mm. same way as you did five years ago, you're coming last. Mm. You're at the leading edge of stuff the whole time. And I never realised that because you're in it. You didn't realise it mm. because you're in it. We got the opportunity to work in workers' compensation, so I got mm. yourself and, and some other people in because, you know, the, the story with many is is that many cured me of an autoimmune disease that I had through eating differently. And this was when I coached for a year at the Roosters and I was in all sorts. I was injecting myself twice a day with a steroid uh, for pain um, and I was in a bad state. Mm. I was told that it's something I'd had my whole life it's something I was going to have for the rest of my life and you're just going to have to take these meditation, med medications to, to get mm. through. By changing my diet, and we just discussed this off air, I used to think that I've, I've overcome the disease. No, that's not the case. I, mm. could, I could trigger the disease by going back to the behaviours I had in the past. You gave me the tools was to de-trigger and remove the consequences of my lifestyle that this d disease brought to me. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so that was pretty powerful for mm. me. So that that was in 2012. Yeah. So when I got to this point of coming in 2017 to start making this program, you're the first person I came to. Mm. Because then I, by this time I'd understood the power, one, of what you taught me because it was cutting edge, but two, that the person that taught me also can have a powerful impact. We've got evidence, right? We see mm. it in the media. So we started a thing called the change room. And the, the idea of the change room was, one, we were going to do it in facilities like 
change rooms in mm. big stadiums, which we do, and ANZ Stadium and Bankwest Stadium mm. and Sydney Cricket Ground and Al Allen's when it was there. Yep. So we provided an experience and made people mm. lean in. And then they go, oh, here we go, here comes this footy player going to teach me about diet. But then what you did, and we used people like Nam Baldwin mm. and Mark Hughes and Andrew Ryan and, you know, a whole host of people and Dr Ali Walker and mm. we've got other, other presenters. We, you know, we're not about blokes, we're mm. about people. Mm. And um, what happened? I thought it would happen. Mm. I, I had a belief that it would happen, but now we know it happens, mm. right? Was that you changed people's lives and in the messages that we shared with them, started to change people's lives. We had people lose 40 kilos. Now, I, I, you know, I, my stuff is around the emotional development, mm. developing emotional capacities the same way as you develop physical and mental capacities because I was a bloke and I didn't understand emotions at mm. all. And that's what's called mental health. Mental health is the poor understanding of your emotional state, mm. so you feel bad all the time. Yeah, yeah. You don't think bad, you feel bad. Mm. And what we started to learn was... Holy shit! Look, look what's happening. Mm. These people are coming Amazing. in. They've been busted for, you know, five, six years of their life. Six months, three months. They'd mm. come in and we'd see people reverse type two diabetes. Mm. We'd see people lose forty kilos. We'd see people change their state, start sleeping better, by stuff that footy players, mm. you know, <laughs> footy coaches do. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't get in the change room and scream in their face and get in mm. their grill. Go, come on. <laughs> what we did was we gave them tools, lifestyle tools, all that stuff that people have the perception that that's what coaches do and motivate mm. you. Motivation lasts this long. Yeah. <laughs> tools. As soon as you get fatigued, that's out the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a place for it to shift you. Yeah. But having tools that can change your life yeah. that you can do every day that mm. this guy gave me or this person shared with you and you give it a crack and all of a sudden you go, I feel better, I look better, I am better. I'm mm. ready to go back into functional life. Again, a long answer as usual, Minnie, but they, they, were, they were the things that really inspired me. So mm. not, not motivation being an, inter, an external force, mm. but inspired me, internal force, to go, you know what? We can change a lot of people's lives. Mm, mm. We can not only help people recover, we can stop people getting busted. Mm, mm. You know why? Because we spent... I was in that rugby league environment for 30 years. You've been in that environment for a long time. Mm. We spent a long time in that environment teaching people mm. how, to, how to be their very best. Mm. Now, that'll always evolve. Well, that's the fun yeah, part. Right. That's, that's the right. fun part yeah. of it. Mate, I love it. And uh, I love how you share what you speak about in emotional capacities. It's really opened my eyes up as well through the Change Room program and uh, really now as well has put me, myself into... Um, the mental and emotional side, not just the physical. So doing stuff around that is is something I'm I'm really keen on and moving forward. What what are some of the proudest achievements that you've had so far? You've had, you know we've had many in the change room, but you know the way you present in your program or the, the teachings that you teach. What are some of the the achievements that you're proud of? I'll say this first. Mm. We started off as a group, right? We had a group of us, and we went right. We're going to give this a crack. Mm. And the concept around it, we you know built it. I thought we'll. We'll do it in the change room. We'll call it the change room because it's metaphoric. And, you know, as I, I always yep. you know, use the story of Angus Young, not Bon Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, he doesn't walk down the street <laughs> doing that, right? Performers and rugby league players don't go through Woolworths tackling people into mm. the... 
they go into the change room, they transform and come out and they do it on the field or they go on the stage and they do something different. So we wanted to transform people's lives. That was a whole motive behind it. And then mm. obviously we've already discussed about the power of what I believed the people mm. that we get in doing it would be like. So the first thing that's made me proudest is that one, the program works. Mm. But, mate, to be honest with you, if, if I had a recording of the first session that you did <laughs> presenting. That was awful. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and myself and – and Yeah. It, but the, the role I feel I've played mm. in – in what you can do for yeah, other people, yeah. and what you know, mm. the other you know the other mentors that we've got can do that. That's that's first the first thing I'm proudest of. Mm-hmm. But again, man, I, I honestly I never have a moment where I don't reflect on the people. It's hard not to get a little bit emotional. Mm. You know, like we talk about people losing forty kilos mm. and reversing type two diabetes. If I had a dollar for every, you know, like people that have come back to me and said, look, I, 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 I was leaving. I wasn't hanging around, and mm. it, it kind of makes me feel a We're little bit. They're talking about life. Yeah, life. <laughs> yeah, I just want to thank you because mm. the story of the wife that was on the phone to you yeah. going, "What? What have you done to my husband?" Love that story. Yeah, and he's in. He's cooking with my kids mm. in the kitchen. I, I've never seen this. Mm. You know, this is a lady that that's you know that's been with this man for such a long time. That that is a metaphor. Mm for the feedback that we've got so often mm. and I, I just kind of get so passionate around please understand that you know, people like this aren't <laughs> footy players they, they have a lot of learning and sharing that they that they can provide and I've got evidence of it and you know when we've got a lot of female presenters now that dovetail into that power and then they see the the respect that comes back mm. from people like yourself, and it just really builds uh, builds uh, the recovery and the, and the prevention of injury that mm. that we've been able to to come up with as an organisation more than I ever thought. Mm. I'll be honest with you, I, I thought we'd get good results. What we actually do get, and what I know we're capable of, mm. they're, they're miles apart. Mm-hmm. Well, the change room did start in the in the uh, insurance space, but now moving into corporate and doing really good things. But you've worked with corporate a lot, a little bit longer, as we just um, you just alluded to. What are some of the outcomes in the corporate space that you've seen now with the CEOs and executives and all that type? Yeah, it's, it's again, it's such a funny one, Minnie, because I, I go back to the same stories. Is that I, I honestly didn't know how I could help an organisation become more productive. Mm. But it's like you, mate. You change someone's diet and they have more energy. Mm. Because they've got more energy, they feel more mentally clear. They feel, mm. Then all of a sudden they're more emotionally like stable. That mm. they don't walk into work with the shits or, mm. or, or, or feeling frustrated. So they, they build into this cycle, right? And then all of a sudden because the leader's doing that, you know, if you've got a leader that's like that, well, that impacts everyone, right? You've got two choices. Yeah. You either join in or you remove yourself from that environment mm. and go, oh, my God, what are we going to But by... But just say so that real simple breaking point mm. that we'll use diet or exercise mm. as a as an example. And we've got we've got eight breaking points mm. that we use. Well, that impacts everyone. So the stuff that I, I've been doing is I'll use a mining company uh, as an example where I've been and I've been there. Do you think I go in there and teach them? This is how you cut coal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these are the things that you need to do. No. Yeah. Explaining what functional leadership is mm. and about 
these things that you you know you got to put your mask on your face. We hear that a lot. Mm. Own face first by you being healthy, by you prioritizing people. Remember coming back to the people thing. You're prioritizing the people that work for you. You'll get responses. They're breaking records. Mm. They're cutting more coal than they ever have. Mm. And they keep coming back to me and going, well, I can't believe what you've done. And I'm going, nor can I. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one example. It works, it works. There's You're one right. example mm. of, again, I've done it in law firms, mm. architecture and engineering firms where all of a sudden the environment's turned around. Mm. What we like to do, and I've done this in the past, is we try and look at what's the most complex thing. You know, let's, let's, let's deal with the complexity in the organisation Whereas if you deal with the simple things mm. first, mm. there's a knock-on effect yep. that makes the complex things a whole lot easier. Totally. I love it. Now, you're writing a book. Tell us about the book. When's it coming out? book's called The Change Room. Yep. October, yes. hopefully, of 2020, it <laughs> yep. comes out. It's about our conversation here, a little bit of the personal journey that I've taken and probably dives a little bit deeper into that, you know, that, that side of things, but not too much. But it's more about providing people with tools, mm. tools to lead a better life, tools to have a better way. And that's not to have the perfect way. Mm. You know, some stuff, some people are so much on into perfection and you've got to do it yeah, right. This, yeah. this is just about, look, choose one of these eight things. Choose two of these eight things and make your life a little bit better and allow the knock-on effect to come. So it's really about providing people with tools and hopefully having a bit of fun as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. I can't wait for that one, mate. You know some high-profile guys like Deepak Chopra and Brian Weiss and Bruce Lipton, who's one of my favourites too. What impact have they had on you throughout your career so far? That That's a really good question and a tough question to ask. Is, is that, I guess... I'll go with Deepak first. Mm -hmm. There's always more. Sometimes we we get caught up in what we want. We're chasing stuff Mm. and when's it going to happen? I I think what Deepak taught me, because I I watch him from afar, he was woo-woo and spooky, Mm -hmm. you know, 2003 when I started reading his books. But he's an endocrinologist, Mm. right? He's he's a brain scientist, Mm -hmm. this guy, who works in the spiritual area. But his stuff now is from 2003, pretty much common practice mm. in a lot of businesses in life. Well, I tell you what, he's not there anymore. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's out there on yeah. the leading edge again. Yeah. And, I, and while I don't completely understand where he is at the moment, mm. because that's how smart mm. and, and how intuitive and how in touch he is, the message to me is, Matt, there's more. And what I do know is one of the biggest impactors on my well-being, yours and mm. all of ours, yours as well, one of the biggest impactors is learning new things, mm. regardless of what it is. Mm. You know, whether it's how to use your mobile phone mm. <laughs> or, or whatever, there's more, always more to mm. learn. And mm. I think that's what I learned from, from, from Deepak, from Brian. It's about humility. Mm. And you know, he has some of his stuff super deep. But you know what? He, know, he knows how to enjoy life as well. Mm. And Bruce is probably much, pretty much the same, is, is mm. that those guys have taught me that while there's a, there's a deeper side of life and we can look at what's your belief system and let's dive deeper into it, mm. there's no use doing that if you're not enjoying it. There's no use, you know, there's no use you know, learning about what your true meaning in life is mm. if you're not enjoying it now. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're, you know, you're on the chase. And Now, for people that are that smart to actually share that base message, I think, for me is I forget it sometimes. Mm. 
you know, and I, I know that we're so, you know, like we work together many and we're so committed to trying to make things better that you work on that commitment of making things better for other people and mm. you go, mm. how you going, mate? Yeah, yeah. That's a, Whoops. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so I've got to stop mm. stuffing that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate, what's next? I think our stuff's next, Minnie, mm. is I'm really passionate, you might be picking this up, that, you know, the learnings that we've got that we've taken out of life, you know, and again, there's more to come, mm. is we know that we can make a massive difference mm. to people and organisations. And I, when I thought we'd make a little difference, that's what I thought at the start, enough to get an income out of it maybe. <laughs> now, I don't care about the income now. Like, as I say, when someone comes to me and tells me, you saved my life, mm. I, don't, I, don't know how, I, I don't know how mm. to pay that back. But when you, it's, I just look at, Again, you know, you look at a company that's turned around because of the simple stuff that we share mm. and you feel like going, hello, everyone, <laughs> yeah. join in, why have a crack at yeah. this? Yeah. Stop, you know, stop looking at the, the tough stuff in life and start working out that. And I think that we're in a little bit of a cycle of human evolution that, like your diet stuff, what mm. we've learned is, is the old stuff worked, right? Mm. You know, the stuff, the way that our great, great, great grandparents were eating is probably not a bad model to mm. work off. We're all kind of work, working that out in a lot of areas in, in life and complexity in modern life mm. is everywhere, yeah. <laughs> everywhere. So true. And what, what the approach that you share and we share as the change room you know, and our great mentors that we have mm. is, is that let's remove the complexity and focus on the people. And that's where I probably want to finish it is, is that it's you as a person and the pe- people that you share your life with where the results are. Mate, some awesome insights, mate. That's why you're the founder of The Change Room, mate. Well done. Thanks for listening to The Change Room podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. For more information about The Change Room, please head to thechangeroom.info.